0: Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space. The only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen.
1: I'm Jake Friedman.
0: And this is the podcast about decisions in games.
1: And today we are going to be talking about campaign games, legacy games, and a case study into Brendan's own game design journey of designing a campaign for his upcoming game End of the Empire. It should be a fun conversation where we dive into our experience with campaign games, why they're awesome, why they suck, and yeah, just get into a fun conversation about it. Before we dive into the episode, a quick note of housekeeping. Brendan and I over the past week have both posted of our own Decision Space Cribs video where we welcome y'all into our homes to check out our board game collections around our house on our Patreon page. I think we're both reluctant to put anything behind a paywall, but we did put those there for our patrons only to just give them a little perk. So if you're interested in checking that out and interested in supporting our show generally, uh, you can access a bunch of content over there and some other perks and stuff for you to explore at DecisionSpacePodcast.com slash patreon and there's a link to that in the description
0: of this podcast awesome well i'm really excited to get into it and i will highlight really quickly jake that and the empire is a working title so it is subject to change but more on that in the back half of the show in the front half of the show we're just going to talk about campaign games and legacy games generally <music> What do we mean when we're talking about campaign games? And I think that that's a that's an interesting question to pose. And I was sort of posing it alongside legacy games, which is I, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, Jake. But I think legacy games is almost a marketing term that sort of means disposable campaign game, and it's more of a yeah. spectrum than it is black and white boxes where you could just take. I think some games maybe blur the lines. For example, one game that I've played is My City, which is definitely a legacy game uh, from Reiner Knizia. It's also a campaign game, but it comes with enough components that I could play it again with everything that came in the box. Just Maya and I.
1: To define our terms, I think a campaign game is simply a board game or a card game uh, that you play sessions of, repeated sessions of, and you are Getting a sense of progression, right? It's not starting from square one. It's not playing the same game. So that could be different scenarios, different starting resources, and so on and so forth. And a legacy game is just a subcategory of campaign games that involves, in some way, permanently modifying components in the game. That line can be blurred even further when publishers start selling recharge packs. So you could just like put a sticker over the permanent change you made previously. But I think that is the key distinction yep. there. And traditionally, that has meant like ripping up a card or, you know, writing in Sharpie over part of the board to draw new outlines for countries or whatever. Yeah.
0: Popping open certain boxes in, in Pandemic L- Legacy Season 1 that you can never right. not open again. It's open.
1: Right. I do think you're right, though. You say marketing term. I think some of this is pretty gimmicky, sure. right? But at the same time, it does create exciting moments. Like the first time a game tells you, tear up this card, you're kind of like your internal board game hobbyist collector part of your brain's like, oh, wait, this is really challenging me. It was a very,
0: (laughs) I think that that's one of the best board gaming moments of, in my mind, that. as a shared experience of the last 10 years for people who played pandemic legacy season one, when that game said to tear up a card, just such a cool psychological experience. I've never played a game before that said destroy a part of my component. I don't want all of my games to play that way, but it was a neat trick that that game pulled off and to great success sort of launched it to be the number one game on board game geek. For a time but i want to give some examples jake and then we can talk about games that we've played and that
1: comment just reminds me should probably say maybe slight spoilers here i don't think we're going to spoil any like significant content in any of the campaign games that we've played but we might a little bit so if that makes you queasy i guess proceed with caution or maybe skip to the next time stamp yep. where we're going to be talking more about brendan's uh, game which is definitively going to be titled end of the empire no, no, no.
0: "End the empire <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> but might change subject to change okay some popular examples just so we're in the ballpark right the buckets that we have gloomhaven pandemic legacy clank legacy star wars imperial assault Sleeping Gods, more of a story angle. Tainted Grail, also sort of more of a story angle. Seventh Continent. And then Harry H- Potter Hogwarts Battle were all games that jumped out as being categorized as campaign games on BoardGameGeek, Geek. And I think are all really good examples, right? They're games built to have you come back and play multiple sessions that have some sort of link between them.
1: I'll throw one more in there, uh, which is Arkham Horror, the living card game. And that one is important too, I think, because of the sort of, living card game card driven genre which also applies to the Lord of the Rings living card game and I think that's a model that other games have followed as well. So Jake,
0: I think that kind of transitions really well into the campaign games you've played. Do you want to talk us through some of what, where you're coming from in this perspective, in this conversation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I played Pandemic Legacy Season 1 I have played a, several Campaigns in Arkham Horror Living card Game. So the way that game is structured is you kind of have campaign blocks, that, which is all additional content that you have to buy. Um, and I think there's like, I think they call it cycles mm. in that game. And there might be six or seven different cycles now. And I've played two and a half at this point, which is, you know, not even a third of the content that's out there for that. So, so those are sort of ones that I've like completed to an extent. And then I have incomplete ones as well, uh, which is Gloomhaven, Jaws the Lion. I tried to play that with my wife. We got about six or seven scenarios in, so we played a few past the sort of learning scenarios before fizzling out. And then also playing half of my city, which we were loving. And then she left to go to do some research in Peru for three months, and then came back, and we haven't got it back out to the table, which I think. Speaks to one challenge that we'll get into later of campaign games, which is that, like, they can, they're they can, there's, there things that can create great momentum for a game group, group, but when that momentum stops, they can be something that are incredibly hard to get back out to the table more so than another game that's been gathering dust for a time. Yeah,
0: they can be like little anchors hanging out in your closet, like oh, nearly impossible to pick up. Jake, why, what, can you shed some light on why you fizzled on Just the Lion? Was set up too much? set up tear down. Yeah, I yeah.
1: set up and te- you know, that's the main thing you always hear about this game and I think Jaws of the Lion does a lot to streamline that with a campaign book. But even with that, the setup and tear down is extensive and I think it's just too heavy for my wife and I to, you know, Bridget is likes playing games, but it's she's somebody that it takes a lot of mental bandwidth and like emotional buy-in to like get in the headspace like okay we're playing games tonight so a super heavy game like this that we're supposed to be playing repeatedly a lot is just not something that really fits into our magic circle of playing games together it was just too much of a emotional burden to like i felt like i was kind of like dragging her into these games once we got into like six or seven And, and that's not a place i ever want to be yeah So it's kind of an easy to pull the plug on that one. It's so
0: interesting from a design perspective how tough it is to nail the mix between diminishing returns on returning to the same experience with a campaign game and the potential for excitement as you're reaching a climax. It seems like a very tough balance to strike. Uh, I can talk about maybe a little bit my strategy to do that with and the Empire's campaign and if it even counts as a campaign in the version it ended up being later on in the show. But what I've played is My City um, which my and I played all 24 games of that in about a week and a half, which, so that kept our momentum going basically because we gave ourselves no choice. We just blew through it, and I think that I would have loved if the game was maybe three games shorter. 24 is a lot of games of the same game. <laughs> um, I've also played Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I know it's it's 12 months and there's a potential that you could have to replay if I'm remembering right some of the months, and i We played over the course of two days, I think 10 months. So I almost finished it, but then we fizzled and we didn't, we weren't able to finish. We were playing on a a trip back to the West Coast uh, with some friends and then our trip was over. So then we never got it back to the table, never reached the conclusion. Wow. (laughs) Heartbreaker, Heartbreaker, right? Yeah. But there's so many exciting moments that the memories still stick with me as a really cool experience. And then I've also played the crew Mission Deep Sea which is included on BoardGameGeek under campaign games. And it does have a series of escalating challenges that it prescribes to you. And I think that sometimes when people say campaign games, they mean that to some extent too. And it also has a little story that links those escalating missions together. And story is a big element of what people expect when they hear campaign games in the board game space, I think.
1: that's That's an interesting case for it. I've played a little bit of... The crew more of the original offering. Uh, what is it? The search for planet Planet Nine X or Planet Nine? I think it's Planet Nine. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting it mixed for up planet with X the induction game. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, because that one is I you know technically set up as a campaign, but it's really just variable setup for a cooperative game. I mean, how is that any different from Spirit Island, where you might be with your group or playing solo? ramping up difficulty or trying out different combinations of spirits or, you know, challenging adversaries? Yeah, no,
0: that's a good question. I think part of it is the game prescribes a specific path to you. And the quest for, in Planet Nine, the original, it's very prescriptive. And then in Mission Deep Sea, it's looser because the elements are randomized. But I think I'm trying to include it because of the story elements that come along and the way in which it does try to prescribe a path through the game um yeah
1: i think yeah yeah that's interesting it's
0: closer like you said on the end of the spectrum to something like i don't know it feels less campaigny i guess is what i'm trying to say than something maybe like sleeping gods or like pandemic legacy certainly or even like my city
1: and i think what we're getting to here is that there might be different types of campaign games one being the what i the first thing that comes to my mind when i think of a campaign game are is a game of linked scenarios where yeah. somehow decisions made previously come up in future campaigns, whether that's a dungeon crawler and you've like Gloomhaven, you found various gear or your character has leveled up. But to your point, I think they could simply be a game that just tells a story through the, you know, the text in between missions and perhaps, you know, ramping up of difficulty or, you know the scenarios offered to players are somehow thematically integrated with the story that you're telling.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I think so. Jake, campaign games are big; they take a lot of time. There's potential for uh, groups to have momentum die down. So why why campaign games? Why do people care?
1: Yeah, one thing I've said before on this podcast, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's smart which is the great thing about campaign games or legacy games for me, and I think possibly for a lot of other groups too, is the things that don't change more than the things that do change. Because I do think that there is a joy in returning to a game over and over with a group where you can just get it out, start playing, and everyone knows the rules, right? That is a fun magical experience that we don't often get or I don't get as much as I would like in this hobby where so often we're reaching for a new game on the shelf every week to introduce people to because, you know, if, if we've got a collection of 100 games, I like variety, right? So I, I'm reticent to pull out the same game for many weeks in a row. Um, and I think that campaign or legacy games gives you a reason to do that it allows for people who enjoy returning the same game the joy of doing that but also it kind of gives a permission structure to the people that play games for variety to return to it as well because they're still getting a taste of variety they're unlocking new content or trying out new scenarios so so it sort of appeals to both sort of types of gamers in that yeah, way i love
0: that. that in some ways campaign games end up being a compromise between the groups who want to dive deep and the groups who want something new all the same also jake i have to say you launched into that whole excellent thought by saying giving a value judgment that it was smart your your own past thought i'm all here for this yeah all here for this <laughs> I think we should highlight, put up a flag when we think we're going to say something really smart on the show. And then our listeners Listen can up. tell... Yeah, yeah. Listen up. Intelligent statement coming oh. in. Yeah. Listen to I this. I left my flags at home. <laughs> well, I am at home. I left my flags in the car today. I made like two
1: smart points on this podcast in its entirety. So I really like to call attention <laughs> to, to, to when I can revisit
0: go them. Go back to that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that for me, another big part of it is uh, to me, when I... It's interesting. What really drew me to some of the campaign games that I've played are different. What I loved about My City was the rapid iteration within a sandbox of rules. I thought it was really fascinating within that game. The game structured into chapters uh, of three games each. So there's six chapters. No, there's... I'm going to get the math wrong. There's 24 games total. And then every chapter has three episodes. Three games. And then every chapter loosely has a theme to it mechanically. And then the game, the core game system stays very consistent, but there's real changes that are swapped in that dramatically change the feel of the game. And I think what was very exciting of that was the sense of discovery that came with it. And then also the sense of improving at my ability to engage with the core system, but then also improving with my ability to jump over whatever wrenches. Dr. Kinizia was throwing at me as we got into these different chapters. So the desire to see what would happen next was partially what kept us going through that game. And wait, I'm sorry, who who is the designer on that one again? Oh, the designer is Dr. Reiner Kinizia. Wait, what's that
1: music in the background?
0: Rhino Kiniz dance break.
1: do realize that you're pronouncing his name incorrectly, which has been pointed out to us by an astute listener of this podcast, so I just want to say, how dare you for mispronouncing that? Very embarrassing. Don't you see it right here in the notes? I,
0: I feel this is... I spelled it out phonetically for you. In the notes for me? Where? Yeah, it's right there. Oh, my gosh. See, so that was <laughs> just a show about us misleading each other in the notes. I see. I see what you're doing here. Konitsia, Something like that, I think, is.
1: But, uh, yeah, I've actually decided for myself, yeah. I want to run this by you from now on on the podcast rather than saying Reiner Conizia. Dr. K? Rhino Koniz, <laughs> Rhino Koniz, Rhino Koniz, because I think that sounds awesome.
0: Cool ass nickname. <laughs> And nobody can say shit. I, I think you have to write to him. Excuse me, Dr. Canizio. <laughs> how would you feel from now on, this day henceforth, you are referred to as Rhino Caniz?
1: Is that what you do to give people nicknames in your yeah, life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, I just start going with it, you know? Oh, no, no, it's, Especially if they pretend. Written
0: explicit permission. All
1: right. <laughs> anyway, let's continue on. You're talking about something. I
0: was talking about Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and how so much of, I think, what kept us coming back in playing that game over the course of two days for just hours and hours and hours as we did was one, the character progression, getting to change and amend your personal characters was really fun and seeing where their paths would go was neat. But also the story in that game being about the world um, and seeing how those changes played out and then how they impacted the physical space of the board was really exciting. So a, a lot of the I think motivation for my group in exploring Pandemic Legacy Season 1 was this marriage between narrative and mechanics that is harder to accomplish in a game that you're just going to play once, right? Most board games don't even try. They have a theme, they have a setting, but they don't have a narrative in the way that a lot of, uh, in the way that some games do.
1: Yeah. Just returning to my one smart point, like I had a lot of fun playing Pandemic Legacy Season 1, but I think the thing that sticks out to me now many years past that experience was just that you know my wife and I played with two kind of new friends and it gave us this Mm. opportunity to sort of create a game night with them where we would try to get together you know once every two weeks sometimes it would end up being once a month and you know through that process became sort of lifelong friends with this couple that we really like and you know I honestly like the gameplay doesn't stick out to me now beyond the fact that we are playing Pandemic, which is a super solid game system. I think there were pain points of like, how does, how do these rules work now? You know, I think that could be a design challenge in general with legacy style games where it's like, you don't necessarily have all the rules in the rule book. So you're just like having to, you know, add rules addendum in Right, I think Pandemic Legacy is like you were like stickering your rule book with new rules, yeah. and that's just not necessarily like the best way to learn a game, right? Okay, so now we have this new rule added in, and like how, in what ways does that like interact with other rules in the rule book? And I felt like the it wasn't always as clear as like a super polished rule book that comes out as one complete thing. Document. Yep,
0: I yeah. we ran into that with my city a little bit where there are. It's sort of it's interesting the way this the game approaches it is that you kind of become the keeper of the comprehensive rules. And there's little sheets that tell Mm -hmm. you sort of these are the changes to the rule. But there's if you're midway through, I can see, Jake, that it might be tough to jump back in at this point because of this issue where the game is kind of relying on you. It's simple enough that it makes this promise to you. "I'll, I'll bring you along, but you have to stay with me. So you kind yeah. of would have to re-read the rules, and then reread through everything you've played up to this point, and then you'd be good. But that's a that's a lot of homework now to get it back to the table. That's
1: exactly that is exactly why I think we haven't got it back to the table, despite really enjoying the first half of it. Um, is it. Is exactly that it just had when you have a hundred games yeah. in your collection, <laughs> yeah. any type of barrier to play is like it. It doesn't matter, like honestly, like how small that barrier is like there's going to be something else that is less burdensome to get out and play and you're probably uh, gonna have a really good time with that so i i distinctly remember one time we were sitting down to play a game and it was like between my city and isle of cats and it just seemed easier to teach bridget a whole new game of isle of cats than it did to pull out my city and resume the campaign and also i think so i think part of it is just like campaign games when they get stopped it's harder to pick up the game in media res just because of the difficulty with rule books not being all cohesive and necessarily all in the same place so i think there's that and then i think also like the other burden is like just the knowledge that you have this many games ahead of you still to like get the complete experience where it's kind of like oh but like are we for sure that this time we'll have enough time and energy to like finish it because you don't want to like stop again and then you know have to do this all again so i think there's also that burden of sort of like it can be a little bit daunting knowing how much is left in front of you and you know and maybe that was part of the reason that we didn't continue with gloomhaven either because it's just like all right we got like seven in and 30 more to go and it's just like okay we're not going to finish this so unless you're just having like the best time ever playing it I don't know. It feels like, maybe even if you're having just like a good time if for whatever reason, that like mental hurdle is is in the back of your head. Like, what's the point in continuing on? Yep. When we're not, we know we're never going to finish. Totally. It.
0: That's really interesting. I also I want to add that I, this might play into my city a little bit, and maybe even draws the line some. That I think for me, one of the issues that campaign games, especially legacy style campaign games, have to solve, uh, especially I think the latter more than just story-driven campaign games maybe is the burden of the meta game weighing on individual games and what i mean by this is that a lot of these games have this super structure where they're giving players benefits for winning or losing that fundamentally change what happens going forward Um, and at times because you don't learn the full rules of the entire game all 24 games of my city or whatever going forwards it can feel really difficult to know, from a decision space perspective, to know how to approach the game-to-game decision. Sometimes, judging that based on the metagame consequences of the rewards that might be paid out. Uh, and I think that one answer is just like, don't worry about it. Just go with it. It's it's about the experience. Don't don't be too much of a, a gamer who's caring about who quote unquote wins. Try be invested but it's the experience. And then the other answer is, no, that's really frustrating. I don't don't like having to make choices where I don't understand the consequences of my decisions. Why is my game doing this to me? And I think that that's an ongoing problem that is one area we could see a lot of development going forward of games trying to solve.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of putting it in terms of sort of like really solid decision space versus experience as sort of two... Opposite ends. I think ideally you get both <laughs> together. Yep. I'm realizing about myself that like anytime somebody's like, "Oh, this is more of like an experience game," it's like red flags are going mm. up in my head. It's like, okay, this might not be for me yeah. because I get so much, you know, what I play for so much is like the interesting decision space created by games. And if like I want to do something that's like purely about an experience, I'm not sure that. I necessarily always want to go to board games for that. Like I've been doing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and that's purely an experience thing, right? The mechanics in there, I could care less about making the optimal build or you know decisions in combat. It's like we're telling a story and like that's so well suited for that. But then when I'm like sitting down playing Dead Reckoning for four hours and it's like, yeah, we're kind of pirates, but we're also (laughs) like so totally bound in... A million rules and mechanisms that like those two things are kind of like coming together and the wa- and washing out into something that's like not very satisfying. for you
0: it's just like orange juice and toothpaste yeah, yeah. i think for the final thing maybe that i want to say about when how, why this can be worth it though is there's something innate and true to the fact that the more time you put into something the more it will mean to you right so the the impact of my decisions and my choices and Maya's in in our game of my city, our campaign of my city, by the end, there's so much excitement in those final games leading up to what will happen. And I think we felt really well prepared and well suited to make decisions, right? We've been training in the game for 20 games, and now we're going to really put our all into it. And that it raises the tension in a way that you don't always get in a two hour game, right? If I sit down and I play a, a, Three player game of El Grande. That's a really exciting experience. But I can't remember the last time my heart was palpitating. When I played My City, Mm -hmm. my heart was literally palpitating at the end of this light polyomino game. (laughs) So I was so excited to see what would happen at the end. And that's the power of this sort of like linked experience additive thing that is why people go to it. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It the, I'm I'm sorry. I think I'm kind of like returning to your previous point with like the, uh, The idea, the idea about um, kind of like the competitive metagame balance. And that's something I think that's like more of an issue in these multiplayer competitive legacy games, where I don't think as much you have that in the cooperative version of these games. You know, if it's like, okay, do we, you know, try and complete this objective as fast as we can, or do we maybe like go get this sword that mm. will be useful later? And you can kind of like decide as a group yeah. and the consequence of that whatever happens like it feels earned whereas it's kind of weird sometimes in a competitive game i agree where it's like oh i lost that game and got this powerful benefit and now i just like kind of win the next two at least that was how our my city game was kind of going it was sort of like ping pong like that in an interesting way and it does sort of like maybe a little bit lessen the it lessens the pain of losing but maybe so much so that it's kind of like Wait, is it even good that I lost this? And that's kind of a weird place to be in a competitive game. I will
0: say, no spoilers. Rhino Kanes has a twist up his sleeve for you. Waiting, potentially. Oh, so, oh, so we'll see. Very yeah. cool.
1: Can, can we talk one more thing about campaign Please. games? I think it's interesting. That's something that some folks were bringing up in the Discord. And I think it's relevant now. We just saw that this new Dead Cells game mm. to talk about the new hotness is being announced by designer bruno cathala one of our favorite designers in the decision space podcast as as a rogue light game so that's to borrow a video game term and i am not an expert in this but the way i understand it having played a couple of these games are they are sort of campaign games where each time you start the game you kind of progress into a dungeon as far as you can and then when you die you restart back at level one but It is, you'll have like maybe better unlocked items or you gained an ability that's going to help you progress further and further. And I think that raises an interesting question for me, which I think comes up in a lot of campaign games, especially talking about cooperative campaign games, which is like, how do these games treat it when the players lose? And you kind of have two distinct options. One is Arkham Horror LCD, where you lose and it's bad but you still go to the next scenario, you know, maybe with less life or, you know, you lost a key asset in some way. Or you could do it the Gloomhaven way where it's sort of like, oh, you lost, like, try again. Or Pandemic Legacy Season 1, where if you lose, try again, but only once. And if you lose again, then you go on. So I, thought, I think that's interesting to think about and just something that people have very different opinions on. I think I'm in the category of Like losing and playing again, the same scenario is something that is almost always unsatisfying to me in a board game space, even though it can be totally fine in video games where it's just so much less burdensome to set up and tear down the experience. So I'm interested in roguelites generally and how kind of that will fit in.
0: That's it's so interesting that you brought that up and bring up Dead Cells. I'm going to make a joke for about seven people on the podcast who have played Dead Cells, but You've really opened a bag of worms with roguelites here because I think it's a totally <laughs> different subject, um, but it mirrors some of the same questions or problems in some way where there is this persistent progression that in a lot of roguelite games, it's tracked by the computer or roguelite games. Those are different things. Again, the subject is so we could do a whole episode on it and maybe we should, though in the board game space, it's a little bit harder. But I do think that there's some of some similar problems there. And I, too, am just really excited, Jake, to have seen that Bruno Cathala is doing that game. I was, as someone who's played Dead Cells and has played a, a lot of road, Rogue Lights, I'm not interested in playing board game Road Lights. And then I saw it was Bruno Cathala, and I was like, dang it, I'm interested. <laughs> I'll try <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I will look at this. champion. when paper. I think I'm out, they pull <laughs> me back this in. Is, Yeah, that's how I have, you know, a thousand hours in Binding of Isaac across a few games. And yeah. Wow,
1: that's a lot of hours. I think the best example that we have now of this in board games is time stories, mm. which has this mechanism where it's a cooperative game you play through and then you run out of time and then you reset everything and start from square one. The only thing that you've gained is information, right? You'll you remember who you've talked to, what past seemed to be the right way so that you can kind of get to that point much faster, hopefully, and progress on. And then you might run out of time again, start over. And then hopefully that third time you're finishing it. Because if you don't, man, everybody's going to have a horrible time if you're starting the same scenario again for a fourth time. And yeah, so I think that's sort of like another just like a really interesting, like that almost feels like a campaign game within a single gaming session. Totally. So, you know, so, you know, that I guess that's just another sort of one that is in my mind nebulously floating out here in this like is this a campaign game? And technically there is like a connective story allegedly in time stories. I wouldn't really know cuz I haven't played enough of them. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's like you could carry this one thing as a one-time ability into your next one and
0: and so on. W- but one interesting yeah. difference to me is that in time stories you're solving this you're you're iterating to solve the same puzzle. And in a lot of roguelites it's all randomized, right? Like you know the rough sure. layout but it's it's completely new when you venture back in there's going to be new enemies or new different drops and that sort of thing
1: though you do roll dice right so every time you so every time you roll a dice you're getting a random different outcome so
0: interesting okay
1: so anyway those are some general thoughts on campaign and legacy games for me i'm gonna keep playing arkham horror living card game i think that's my favorite one and i think For me, it just does the best job of addressing the pain points of being burdensome to set up and play because each one is like such a capsule, right? It's like six scenarios. That's something I can wrap my head around and say like, this is achievable to me. I love the way that you fail forward in that game. Like it still feels punishing. So that to me strikes a really nice balance too. And also the way the game allows you to sort of each scenario being very distinct and different, but you're carrying over new cards that you've unlocked and upgraded your deck into them, which I would compare positively to sort of Gloomhaven where every scenario feels like very similar, at least in the ones I've played. And maybe I just didn't get far enough in it, but generally you're like, have a map with enemies. You're trying to fight them and like advance the end where you could be doing all kinds of totally different stuff in arkham horror
0: yeah i think that that's really cool and you're also making setup decisions which is so different than a lot of campaign games right where you're changing what you're bringing mm-hmm. yeah for me, to some, to some, some extent, extent. Yeah. okay for me jake i feel like the idea of playing a heavy quote unquote heavy and i'm counting anything like pandemic season one legacy season one and heavier as a heavy campaign game seems like a very tough sell for me these days it would have to be a a very enticing, well-themed, well-thought-out, and praised experience to make me want to invest my time in it. I do have some interest in exploring something like Ryan Lockett's narrative-driven games like Sleeping Gods, or uh, something like Tainted Grail, because it's not an experience that I've had before. So I have this longing curiosity pulling at my heart that I want to go explore. With that said, though, I haven't done it. So yeah. I might not... You know, I feel it, but I don't feel it enough to motivate me. I When I... Right now, it feels like I have time in my life for just enough of just I only have enough time for the board games that I can get. I'm so sorry, Jake. I totally bungled this point (laughs) in my life right now. It feels like I don't have that much time for for games and dedicating it to a single game feels tough when so much of the joy that I get out of board games is exploring new games with people. So
1: yeah, like Cascadia 100. Exactly.
0: You got it. You know, that's that's a whole different story. But on top of that, you know, we were playing lots of other games. And I think that it's Uh just even my city, which was a much lighter experience, loved it. I don't know that I need to play my island, especially if it's as long as my city, but I'm really glad to have had that experience. I would be open to playing something about that weight.
1: But yeah. Those are our thoughts. Love to hear your thoughts on campaign games in our Discord. As always, we have a link to that in the description of the podcast. But let's transition now over to additive design and Brendan's case study with his title coming out soon under the name End of the no, empire. and
0: the empire. <laughs> totally different games. One is, oh my.
1: Are you co-designing it with Rhino Kinis? Oh is? my
0: gosh, I am not. Okay, so let's talk about additive design. Then we'll talk about the case study. Additive design, I think, goes back to this classic example that people talk about uh, about game designers, right? Where you have painters and sculptors sculpting being the act of you're going to design a ton of of systems and make the game uh, all of the component parts that could be there you're just going to bring them to life in the early prototype stages and then throughout design you're going to pair away as if you're chipping off blocks of stone to expose the game and the streamlined structure that it should be underneath uh, in contrast you have painting as a metaphor for game design where you're designing a core system that's working really well and then you're going back to that system and adding on to it and i think that from a lot of expansion design and i think the way that a lot of campaign design has to work is painting or additive design right when you're designing a campaign game you're going and you're developing a core system that you can affix different changes onto and add to that design and maybe you'll take them away uh, and add something else new but it's in in practice and in theory almost always additive design and i think expansions we were talking about this a little bit on our discord of all types really fall into that category as well it's really rare to have an expansion it wouldn't really use that language right expansion denotes this adding to what's already there so you don't have a design an expansion that really says okay uh, to play this, you're going to cut out this half of the game that came in the base box and this half, and you'll supplement it with this quarter that we're adding back in. And then you have a new game. That's really rare. Oftentimes, you're just adding on to the core experience that's there.
1: Ironically, I think I would love that as an expansion like idea. We, I think we were talking about that in kind of the aftermath of our Elegance yep. episode conversation. right? And I have sort of made the very smart point that It's very rare that any expansion is making a game more elegant. And people point out a few things I think make a lot of sense for that, like the prelude expansion to Terraforming Mars, right? Kind of just like, let's just skip the first (laughs) couple of, of rounds of this game and get into it quicker. I think that the Norwegians expansion for A Feast for Odin does just that, right? Where it's like, actually, we're not using this board of action selection spaces you can throw that in the garbage because i redesigned it and it's better now but those are definitely the exception to the rule of expansions of being like here's a new system that you add on top of the game you're already playing.
0: i think as a this is an aside but as a game design exercise making a fan made contraction as i'm going to call it where you like make the game smaller seems like a really interesting exercise that i'd love to i don't know i'd love to see someone take that on for for a heavy game okay okay
1: yeah totally so i have a question for yes. you with your additive design me being much more the layperson in the design space it's hard for me to believe that like i are there good examples you know of of games that have been developed in the opposite way it just seems to me that i think all game design must start with like a core idea and then that is built upon that's really
0: interesting i think that it's The difference is when is playtesting happening, right? So is it that I'm just building a core system and then I'm I'm going to playtest that core system, see how it works, and then see what I need to add to it? Or am I going to try to design out this whole broader experience, playtest that a lot and chip away as I go? So I think you're right, Jake, that ultimately the seed of a game is a seed of a game, but it's what you do with that functionally that changes, right? Where it's like, sometimes maybe if I'm going to design a heavier game, I'll just pick out a mechanism and go test it. Right. And sort of say, this is your position. This is my position. Let's test how this little system works. And then I'll add to it. But some people don't do that. Right. They just, I'm going to design this really large game. I want you to test it with me. And then they'll say, oh, this is the system that I've added isn't working. I'm chopping that out. That's, I, I've definitely played with designers who approach it that way.
1: To me, this sounds like design versus development almost. Like the designer is the painter. And then development being the chipping away. Like, oh, this is a great game here. I'm gonna chip away the you know the excess rules like Alex at Pandasaurus was talking to us about. It seemed as though most of his job was doing that sculpting. I don't remember bringing up any times where and maybe we sort of asked this like that. He said, "You know what this game needs is like a whole one additional system mm. to really make it." I sing. think a
0: little bit. Yes, but I also think we're crossing the stream slightly because I think even before it gets to the developer, there's going to be designers who approach it in the sort of additive way, and there's going to be designers okay. who approach it in a way where they really they sort of gush onto the table and then pare down. I think it happens okay. in both ways, but in this particular instance, so what happened for me was that I
1: and end the empire and and the, not Kodat yeah. yeah
0: in and the empire in, and the empire you got it. Yeah,
1: you said it wrong, I
0: think. Oh that my god! I was
1: saying End the Empire. And I was saying not co-designed by Rhino Caniz. Nice. What were you saying?
0: End the Empire, not co-designed by Rhino Caniz. Just by me. Perfect. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so in End the Empire, what happened was... You finally got it. <laughs> I designed this... End the Empire is just for an overview of the game. It's an asymmetric two-player card game where it's the setting is sort of this totalitarian, futuristic, authoritarian world where there's an empire and a group of rebels. So one player plays the empire side and one player plays as the rebel side, and they have really different ways in which they're interacting with the game and the systems. Uh, My sort of Hollywood style pitch is that it's battle line meets mastermind with a twist. um, I like that. That's good. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate that. I should have said I should have threw my intelligence flag out. Listen up to this. Call back humor. Exactly. But the general flow of the game is that there's the Rebel player has a deck of cards that come in four suits that are sort of uh unrest, agents, supplies, and there's one other. I feel so bad in spacing. But it doesn't really matter. There's just they're different suits. And they have these objectives that they're trying to accomplish by getting certain configurations of cards in these five districts that are laid out in front of the table. And to win the game, they have to accomplish one of the objectives set out, and those objectives are randomized, uh, variable between games in three of those five districts. So each turn, they're sort of presenting cards, two face down, one face up, and then, and they're picking two of the districts to send those cards into, sort of marking two of them, and then the Empire player will respond. They don't have a deck of cards at all. What they have are four powerful actions. One is they can destroy cards. One is they can block a district from any rebel cards being placed in it. Another is that they can surveil and get a little bit more information, flip a face down card face up. And finally, they have the ability to just reroute a rebel card and choose what district it goes into. But for the Empire, they're gonna use two of their actions on one turn. So they start with four four available, they'll use two. The subsequent turn, they'll only have two available. They'll use those to respond to the rebels' plans then they'll all refresh. So they sort of had this tempo of being very powerful, having lots of actions, having a maybe a little bit weaker turn. Uh, and it goes back and forth with the Rebels playing this sort of mind game where they're trying to subvert and hide, obfuscate what their plans are and how they're trying to accomplish them. And the Empire players trying to beat them. So that's the core game. That's how it was signed by Pandasaurus. And at the time of it being signed, they said, hey, we really love this game. We think it's a really good core game experience. Um, and that will be the base game in the box. We would love it if you could expand upon this and give players a reason to come back to add a little bit more to the design. So I've never had this opportunity in my game design experience, sort of having a game signed and at the same time being asked to expand on it. So that really was a moment where I was being asked to take this core design and add onto it. And basically the, the ask was maybe something like a campaign, maybe something like the the crew and its variability and mission deep sea to give you this endless mode that you could play through. Interesting.
1: So you kind of had this open ended offer of like give players something more to come back to, like an enduring campaign mm-hmm. is maybe something that like would have some carryover versus yeah. the planet X or planet nine version of it, the crew version sure. of it, where it's like this is just kind of like a storybook that you play through yeah. that gives people a little bit of variable setup in each one.
0: So that was my question of sort of like, what should this be? I knew there were some things that I definitely wanted to to accomplish with the design. And one of those was that I wanted there, I knew there had to be continuity between plays, right? Some degree of continuity. I w- because there isn't in the base game every time you play it's its own thing you play a game and that's the game you play i wanted there to be a low time commitment and the empire is a fairly quick two-player asymmetric card game you can play a game of it in under 20 minutes uh so that has whom the people who are driven to that experience are looking for a lighter experience so i knew this needed to if it was going to be a campaign style experience it couldn't be a 100-hour campaign-style experience, right? I wanted it to be concise and and be tight. Maybe a micro-campaign was something that came to mind for me. And then I wanted, Jake, to make sure that this was an opportunity to sort of thematically enrich the experience of the game, even if in so much as that's a way to add a little bit of narrative into a game that's light on it, which sometimes people who want a longer experience, who are returning to it, uh, want there. And I didn't necessarily know if that would play out narratively or just within the components that I was adding to the game itself. So mm-hmm. do you have a question?
1: No, no. Do you want me to like tell
0: you what to do now or what? Yeah, do, do you want to? <laughs> I could tell you what happened. Well, I could tell you what not okay, to do. Me. So I spent a lot of time. I was thinking, Jake, that maybe this would be a really uh, narrative driven, expansive version of the game, right? Where one player is going to play as the empire player and one player is going to play as the rebel player. And the, narratively, that's really what will drive the game. And I spent a lot of time wasted investing time sort of writing out scenarios and trying to design scenarios that would work with this overarching narrative that I had with telling a story. And then I realized after maybe putting 20 hours into that experience that I was taking the game in under direction that I didn't think would serve the game itself the best. Um, and then what would be better would be to try to pare down and come up with something that was closer to an endless mode. So where and what i mean by that is that if you like playing the base game and you know you're going to play it x amount of times this gives you an excuse to do that get it back to the table and then to add some more tension between between those plays to basically invite players hey this is a short game if you want to play it more than once maybe try it this way and if or if you want a slightly heavier experience than what's there in the base game you could add to it this way but that initial design was going to be something like 15 games. So that very quickly got cut to something like nine plays. And we play tested that way for a while, explored with the idea maybe that players wouldn't be locked to a side. Um, so because of the asymmetric experience, there was this question of well, am I going to play the Rebels for the whole campaign? Or you're going to play the Empire for the whole campaign? Or would that get stale? Do we want to be switching back and forth and seeing different sides of the puzzle? So initially, I thought, maybe I'll try it that way. We'll try different sides. We'll switch back and forth. But then it kind of went at odds with having this sense of continuity, this feeling of Mm -hmm. I feel like I know where
1: this is going.
0: Do you want to guess?
1: You have them switch only after the rebel side wins, thus becoming the new Empire because... You know, live long enough as a hero, you live to see yourself become the villain. That's
0: a good idea. I do like that hook. But no, it's that you stay the Rebels or you stay the Empire. Because, oh, boom.
1: You know, it's not too late. It's not too late. (laughs) There's a better way. I do think that. So,
0: what's interesting is that the mode has been pared down. What it is now is it's basically a series of three to five linked games where you have a new set of cards. Uh, for each side that are these enhancement cards that are dramatically changing your effects. I think for people who like innovation, some of it when when I was designing was trying to bring in some of the, wait, the game lets you do what into the design, but with thematic hooks. So bringing that in, it's now been cut down to three to five games. And it's something that we can play test in one sitting, but could be played yeah. over multiple sessions. So it's a way to sort of have that continuity. And then there is progression between it, because part of the system is that you get more of those cards based on the number of games your opponent has won. Um, so you are getting sort okay. of comeback potential. And either
1: side can get that. Either side So even that. though the Empire doesn't have cards, they're basically getting like power upgrades. They're,
0: so now they... Or like, are these
1: like one-time effect
0: there's cards? There's one-time effect cards, there's dual effect cards, and there's ongoing passive effects that you could have all in a mix that completely change uh, how it's set up. And there's also some setup variation cards. So
1: it's just like self-balancing. So it's like I lose as the Empire and now I have a bonus.
0: Essentially, yes. So it's But it's building towards this final game that has both sides powered up right but it is when you do lose you are getting a new tool that the other player won't have you both are basically going to start with one enhancement then Jake if we're playing you're obviously the empire i'm going to play the rebels as as you know dig- that makes sense right and then yeah no okay.
1: definitely i'm i'm like out of the two of us the imperialist yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we would each have one enhancement that completely changes sort of the way we can approach the game i wouldn't maybe not completely but meaningfully changes our agencies then if you win, I would get a second card uh, and you would have one again for the second time. But all of the cards that we use in the first play will go to a communal discard. So we won't see those cards again. So you're sort of having these fresh additions.
1: I love how quickly you're able to identify out the two of us like me being a tyrant. <laughs> so that makes sense. So, okay, just to like pick at this a little bit. If I lose, yes. I get nothing or no i get the benefit you, is there any like is there any sort of like small like achievement like i'm the winner but it was close or like so i get like a small thing or what cuz i think my like concern hearing you say this would be that it just ping-pongs back and forth yeah.
0: I It doesn't always ping-pong back and forth. I will say one thing that's really interesting. But then it's like if somebody gets two, then are they like likely to
1: win two in a row type of yeah, thing? Yeah, Like, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, is it, ju- is it just setting up for this, like, game five that you might as well just say, like, hey, let's just, like, draft some upgrade cards yeah. each?
0: The way that I've designed the, the abilities and powers is that I've tried to make it so that's not always the case. In playtesting, we've definitely had series of this go to three games go to four games and on some occasions go to five say they don't always go to five because the way that the powers work is when you use them matters as much as having them right it's not a a strict Mm -hmm. passive bonus that's always making you better and because there's deduction elements to the game i think you have to approach it Uh, it ends up such that your skill with the cards you're dealt matters as much as the cards that you have so it's not as if it's an auto win where you're ping-ponging back and forth Oftentimes, for whatever reason, sort of rally twice. And then maybe the other person will mount a little bit of a comeback sometimes, but maybe not in others. There's also, I haven't even mentioned. There's is, is
1: there like enough randomness maybe in the way the cards come out to where it's like, okay, if I'm the Empire and I'm down two, yes, I'm like much stronger now. But I there's at least a chance that I could just get kind of unlucky here, even with a big advantage and still lose. Like, I don't want to be down two despite having this. Yeah. Big, definitely
0: you would achieve, never like, want to go yeah. down to to get those cards yeah there's a little bit of variance for sure the randomness and then there's also just the ability to bluff in the game where you can offset some of the powers just as you get to learn the habits of how your opponent is approaching the puzzle um, on either side
1: that sounds cool man and i you know it, it's also just interesting sort of from a observer of this board game industry that you know some people sort of levy the criticism of like every game is a campaign game now. I think that's more of like a Kickstarter thing, mm, right? Yep. Where it's like inevitably the stretch goals are going to be like, and now it's a campaign game because that's what everybody wants. And I think I, I was just listening to Board Game Barrage to talk about their most excited games of 2023. And one of the things they mentioned was how in going through the list, it seemed like there was just a total abundance of campaign games. And, you know, their theory is that everybody's sort of chasing gloomhaven money and why wouldn't you if you're a publisher but it's interesting to see how that trend is being adopted and can be sort of potentially like compressed in a way that these don't have to all be like sprawling things it could be a small set of games that you could choose to play with or choose to totally ignore i would suggest for your game maybe a third variant where a draft of upgrade cards mm. so it's like maybe you want to just do the epic fifth game oh that's really you know interesting. and don't yeah. and don't feel like i want to play through all five deal deal with playing potentially four games just to you know get to this point naturally but yeah. maybe maybe you just draft out some of these cards and we just have the powered up version of and the empire yeah i think that's a really interesting title. idea
0: the other thing too that can't comes to mind jake you mentioned that is that as i've worked on it more and it's sort of become more what it wants to be and what I want it to be, of sort of this heavier version of the game that you can go back to repeatedly that adds more to it. Maybe campaign isn't the right word, right? The game doesn't have a narrative. at least outside mm-hmm. of the, an emergent narrative that might come out of the, the cards that we've added to the system and how things play out. So maybe that might set up expectations in a different way. So TBD on what this sort of gets called. I do like your suggestion. It's something for me to think about more. It's something that I've toyed with. I also, in thinking, Jake, about what you were saying earlier, I think one distinction about sort of the payment side of things and like where things stand. One cool thing about this is, you know, the active game design is game design, right? It's, it's working at, a th- an object, a game that you want to exist. And then it's also product design of what is going to be in the box. And I think for me, part of the way that I'm compensated is through royalties. So the more the game sells, the more, the more ultimately I will be compensated. So it's cool to have sign off from the publisher to enhance the offerings that's there, to make it a better game, to hopefully sell more copies. So I think the end idea, the end goal, right, is that ultimately... By doing this, it ends up being a better product that's more robust in its offerings and will hopefully sell more. And in the end, that will be paid back to me through the royalties, you know?
1: Totally, yeah. Uh, no, that 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 makes sense. It's sort of like, on one hand, the criticism of all these stretch goals is like, just give me the best mm-hmm. design core game yeah. and don't charge me an arm and a leg for components and parts of the game I'm not going to use. Yep. But at the same time, when we think about one of our favorite games, Broom Service, mm-hmm. like one of the things that makes that game amazing is it feels like the game comes with expansions in the, expansions box. In the yeah. box. When done right, it can be this amazing experience where it's like, wow, this core game is awesome, and there's enough stuff to like play with in here as like a little sandbox to like curate my own favorite version of this game. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely not always... A negative by any means and it's hard to say oh i don't want
0: more game yeah, in my yeah. box you one know? problem though that can arise is sort of do i need more game right for me as a designer yeah. there's always this question of like i'm putting a lot of work into this i'm pouring a lot of time that i could be spending designing other games so i want to make sure that the barrier to entry for people who want this i don't want people who don't want to play this t- version of the game to play it right if you if people buy in the empire and they love the core experience and they don't need more don't play it just enjoy what's there but if you wish there was more I want the barrier to entry for jumping into this mode to be low and that's been a design consideration too
1: and at the same time though right to those people they would be maybe asking themselves like okay then like by having this design work right and just extra components in the box that does raise the price point a little bit right a bigger box more cards 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 I mean if it's more that's the thing yeah, okay yeah. All right, yeah. cool
0: we'll see yeah i guess yeah.
1: so right if it's like the same number of like printer sheets at the end of the yeah. day my but yeah i think that i think that's an interesting concern too. the other
0: thing i want to respond I, that draft mode that you were talking about jake i do think it's a good idea because i think some people will just potentially be drawn to that but one of the cool things about a short sort of campaign experience is something i love about end the empire even when i'm playing it and that i think stands out about the game is that you when you're playing across the table from someone it's a game where you sort of can feel like you're quietly dying inside trying not to be exposed uh through your plans right so you're like you're trying to just physically there there can be a lot of tension in the play and it's fun to sort of over the course of a play of this longer mode to have that ramped up and ramped up and ramped up to the point where even me who spent hundreds of hours with the game will still get these sort of heart palpitations in our right. final mode that you might not necessarily get if you jump straight into it um but yeah totally
1: that goes back to our conversation about campaign games right and how like one of the great things about them is it does create this tension yeah. right if you've been playing longer and longer but that that's also sort of an effect of like length of play right like why randomness is fine in a game that takes. 20 minutes yep. if there's like a big dice roll that determines the outcome of the game but if we've been playing that same game for six hours it feels, worse. It feels a little different yeah. yeah anyway i was just gonna say like i think that makes total sense and i think it's awesome that it's in there but also i think i am a player that would say like okay if this is designed to like cr- build up to a final epic battle give me that give me that yeah. right right now yeah
0: <laughs> there's so much i want to talk <sighs> i wish we had slightly more time jake there's one, I really want to play this game with you in person just because I think it'd be a fascinating... An in-person ex- play this experience, I think it would be just really fun it Dibs on you. the Empire. That'll be awesome. The other thing that I'll say about the sort of sweeping up to it... Suits me. Not a problem for if people really get into it, but one cool thing about the adding slowly of more is that the game a quote-unquote light game does ask a lot of both sides because of the sort of trying to deduce each other's plans so when you add new elements there are some benefits to like ramping up slowly whereas if you're dealt all of these add-ons right away I think it can feel a little overwhelming at least when I first tested that way I was like whoa we need to pull back even as the designer I was sort of like this was a pretty a fairly light experience that now feels quite heavy and I I would hate for people to miss things. It's interesting. I wonder if there's ways to solve that problem. Uh, more to come. Game active more in development. More to come. And I'll name it, even though, again, name subject to change. But the working name has been End the Empire, which has a stance, By which I like.
1: Brendan Hansen. I'm seeing here. Hansen.
0: <laughs> Brendan Hansen.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Sorry. I'm always forgetting that. Well... <laughs> I think this has been a really fun discussion. Brendan, thanks for bringing this case study to the yeah. show and allowing me to sort of poke and prod and, and provide criticism where I think it's there. I think that's awesome. you would be willing to do you know in front of our audience and I'm really excited to get a chance to play this game and excited to see what the final product looks like in whenever these things finally get to market. And it was also a fun discussion on campaign games generally i think i always want to pose the question to our audience when we do an episode that features like us talking about game design is this something that appeals to you please let us know if this is something that you don't come to decision space for let us know that as well because we really want to you know make this show enjoyable and worth your time but as always thanks so much for listening to this week's episode uh, and we will see you next week. Let's let Hembry, who we always like to thank for our intro and outro music, reach out, play us out.